0: Welcome to another episode of the Mike Drop Sports Podcast. I am Mike Schneid, joined as always by Zach Stein. And despite the fact that there's no NBA games for a few days, the sports world never stops, and there's always big stories. And we're gonna drop the mic on all those big stories. But first, what's up, Zach? How's it going?
1: Yeah, it's been better. It's IU season. (laughs) IU season is officially over, unless we have a miracle. Big Ten tournament victory, but we're not going to do that, so it's over.
0: Well, why don't we start there, despite the fact that one of the best wide receivers in football has completely lost his mind, one of the best baseball players has finally signed as MLB Free Agency kicked off today, but why don't we start off with your Hoosiers that had a chance to get a fourth top 15 win that would have given them something that no other team, I believe no other team in the country has, or at least put them in rare company. Instead, the Hoosiers now fall to 13 and 13 after an 11 and 2 start. What happened to Indiana this year?
1: Uh, there's a lot of things that happened. You have a star player who kind of just lost his confidence throughout the season, and Romeo Langford started playing against better competition than he's ever seen in high school, which no one predicted. So he just sort of collapse midway through the season with obviously sparks of greatness throughout. So that, that's tough. And then you've just got an issue. I mean, as good as Juwan Morgan is, I am a firm believer that you just can't be a good team when Juwan, when a guy like Juwan Morgan is your best player, he's criminally undersized specifically for big 10 play as a big man. So recently he's been just super exposed in games against bigger competition where he's just, not scoring, and then it's just we have no shooters. Uh, just a couple recruiting classes in a row we're just underwhelmed with perimeter shooters, so that really just sucks when people can just clog the lane against us. So we just can't score, even though our defense has insanely improved over the past couple of years. So just a, a super frustrating year, very disappointing for Hoosier fans as 11-2 and two start with some key wins. You think this could be a great season, and it just quickly became a dumpster fire immediately. And I'm not sure anything's gonna get better next year either, even with a good recruiting class.
0: This is an Indiana team that beat Louisville, beat Marquette. Those are two top fifteen teams now, beat Michigan State in East Lansing. So it's hard to it's hard for me as, you know, to take a step back. Obviously you being a Hoosier fan. me, just as a college basketball fan, it's hard for me to fathom that they can beat those
1: three teams and then just look like this the rest of the year. It makes no sense. And then they also – it's not a sexy win, but a neutral court win against Butler in Indianapolis, like right in Butler's backyard. Uh, Obviously, it is an IU state, and there was a ton of IU fans at that game, but still a neutral court win. So it's like resumes there, it's just baffling to – it's hard to win on the road in the Big Ten, but when you lose home games to teams like Iowa, and it's just – and then you go on the road and lose to Rutgers. Like, we shouldn't lose to Rutgers. When you're losing these kind of games that just really stop you from making the tournament, that's the frustrating part. Because if you go ahead and beat Iowa at home, you go ahead and beat Rutgers at home, you beat some of the lesser opponents on the road, like, it's just – you should, do, you make the tournament that way. That's what good teams do, They or even mediocre teams do. They find a way to win games when they should, and then they might win a game or two that they shouldn't. They might lose a game or two that they shouldn't, but I use not even winning the games they should right now, and that's a problem.
0: They're not winning a whole lot of games. I, um, Indiana's coach, Archie Miller, the younger brother of Sean Miller at Arizona, These two have just had an absolutely miserable time since the calendar turned to 2019. Arizona has lost seven in a row. School's longest losing streak since 1983. Archie's Hoosiers have now lost four straight and 11 of the last 12. I don't see how this thing gets any better for either of these two coaches, but what's the mood like for Indiana fans with Archie Miller? I mean, you didn't make the tournament last year. It seems highly unlikely this year, but is Archie Miller still the guy long term?
1: Miller has recruited really well well I, obviously Romeo Lankford was great some games, not great, others, but the guy is recruiting the state of Indiana very well. I mean the numbers don't lie he's getting good recruiting classes we have another good class coming in. My thing is is where I'm going to still be patient is and I, this is still. This team still reeks of Tom Crane. You're I like Jawan Morgan a lot, but you just see how flawed of a team is that Crane left us in when Jawan Morgan as our best player going forward. Obviously we have lost some players a little bit earlier than expected to the NBA like OG and Anubi over the years. And so and so you do lose, you know, some super talent that you might have expected to be four year players. But again, Tom Crane didn't leave Archie Miller a whole lot to be working with. We're working with a cr- core roster of Korean guys, of Jawan Morgan, who's fine, but then Justin Smith, who's criminally underperformed, then uh, Devontae Green, who just uh, he plays too fast for his own good. And then we're starting a guy like Zach Roberts, who was a walk-on for most of the season. And it's just it, it reeks of Korean, and it's, it's not Archie's fault. For that reason, but again, like there just hasn't been enough changes during the slump to to change things around. You think you go into East Lansing and you get a huge win, and you're like, oh, maybe we'll turn it around. You take one huge giant leap forward, and then three giant leaps backwards right after that, and it's just it's just super frustrating, and you just hope it turns around quicker than than later.
0: And Tom Crean, you mentioned that this team kind of reeks of him. They're, he's, he's at Georgia right now. They're 1-11. He did just somehow get the number two player in the country to commit there. But he's sitting there at Georgia blaming everybody else except for himself, saying that the players aren't good enough. The coaching staff before him left bad players. You don't really hear Archie Miller. You don't hear guys like Penny Hardaway complaining about what they were left with. They're just kind of working through the mess.
1: And that's been Crane's MO when he was at IU, too. Whenever things were going tough, he never owned up to anything ever. It was, oh, we don't have a captain on our team. Oh, we don't have a leader. We don't have people being vocal on the team. And while that might be true, there could definitely be, you could definitely look at some of the players and be like, oh, could they be better? But good leadership creates good leaders on the court. And I just don't think Crean really did that since Oladipo, was around, and Oladipo was a rare breed. I mean, that guy, that, that guy had it. Like, there's, there's that it factor with college players and NBA players. Oladipo had that. I thought Thomas Bryant had that as well. And then ever since then, I used sort of been lacking that. And that's just the problem. Like, Archie just hasn't had enough time to, to develop that it guy. Maybe, like, Rob Finn could be that guy going forward. I mean, he's only a freshman. Uh, I mean, it sucked. We had a really good recruit, Jerome Hunter, who – had a crazy leg injury uh, that cut them out of the year all year. So, that he would have been maybe our third best scorer this year. So, that hurts. And then we'll see what he got going forward. But it's just a super young team without a vocal leader. And I think over time, Archie's going to be able to instill that leadership qualities into someone. And that's where Crean's had problems with. And it's now affecting two schools, Georgia and IU. Yeah. And we'll
0: see. I mean, Indiana. Certainly has a couple of big games still left this year, and it's going to really take a run in the Big time tournament to make it to the big dance. Uh, We're a month away from Selection Sunday. Doesn't look like Indiana's going to be there on Selection Sunday, but you know, 68 other teams will be. When you look at potentially the 68 other teams and you whittle it down to four, who do you like as the final four we've seen? Duke has swept Virginia. We saw Kentucky beat Tennessee the other day. Gonzaga has been on a roll. Are there four teams or maybe five or six teams right now that really stand out to you as being a level above the rest?
1: Yeah, I've got a clear top four. And then I've got a couple other teams that I like who were playing much better at the beginning of the year and sort of I fell into a little bit of funk. But my clear top four right now, if I'm filling out a bracket – And I'm looking at it just blank, no matter what, who I'm taking. And it's going to be pretty chalk right now. I mean, my top four is for sure uh, Duke, Tennessee, Virginia, and Kentucky. I think those four teams are playing the best out of anyone right now. I know, obviously, Virginia was swept by Duke. I think Duke is just on a completely different level. When people were just going to think maybe this is a Duke team that has all these freshmen and they might just disappoint, we're not seeing that yet.
0: No, we're they, not. I man. mean, they and had – I thought we had.
1: Their, their one bad loss is at home to, to Syracuse, and Syracuse is just, you know, still a powerhouse team, even though they're not, like, flashy. So, And they always cause problems with that zone and with just their length, which they always have. So, it's just – that was one fluke loss. Like, the, this Duke team just overpowers them. And Cam Reddish is now finally starting to really show who he is. So, now that he's starting to score a little bit more consistently – that they're scary. I, I think they're, it's Duke right now and then everyone else.
0: What's interesting to me is that for the longest time, I still felt that Tennessee was better. I've said it to you. I've said it on this. I've said it on, on mydropsports.com. I thought that Tennessee was the best team in the country. The game on Saturday bothered me a lot in their loss to Kentucky. And I, I, I still think Tennessee I still think is a Final Four contender and even a national title contender. But when you look at Duke – when you look at the way that they've been playing. And I think what stands out to me with Duke is for the longest time, like you said, I just, they're a bunch of freshmen. And sometimes these guys have rough games and they did last Wednesday. They had a rough game. They were down by 22, 24 at Louisville. And I thought that was kind of that moment that, you know, they're going to get blown out on the road. It's going to happen. They'll come back and they'll, they'll blow some teams out, but they fought back and Zion Williamson. So, about a month or two ago, Scottie Pippen came out and said, Zion Williamson, there's no reason to play college. You should just go home and rest and go be the number one pick in the draft. If you watched Zion Williamson play last Wednesday and not come back, the guy's showing so much emotion. He cared so much about that game, and he's so much more than a dunker. The guy is playing D. He's getting back. He's getting rebounds. He's getting blocks. This team is clicking right now. This team has a special type of chemistry. And finally, for the first time this year, I don't think they're going to lose in March.
1: It, Zion Williamson is amazing. And I've always known he was more, was more than just a, a dunker. I, the way he is able to take guys off the dribble from the three-point line or top of the key and get to the bucket at will, it amazes me just how quick he is. For his size, it's really amazing. It, it, he's so fun to watch. And, yeah, he's got the emotion in the heart, which makes them even more dangerous because it could just be, you know, a five-star recruit who's trying to get his own numbers and doesn't really care. The fact that he cares makes Duke even that more dangerous.
0: Here's where you and I are going to disagree on the Final Four, though. I love Tennessee still. I love Duke. I've I've been saying this for a while, and I don't want to back off of them now, but I do believe that Virginia gets into the Final Four for the first time with Tony Bennett. I just think this is a team of destiny. They probably won't have to play Duke before the Final Four unless they play each other in the Elite Eight. So that's the Virginia's benefit since they're 22-0 against non-Duke teams. And my fourth team is Gonzaga. Gonzaga is just playing so well. I know they play in a dinky conference against no good teams I just really like that team. I really like the way that they're playing. And despite Kentucky's incredible performance the other day, I have them on the outside looking, looking in for now. But I love the way that Kentucky is playing. And that was such a statement win over Tennessee. Did you learn anything about either of those two teams?
1: Um, I've, I've been watching a lot of Kentucky and Tennessee this year. That was by far the worst I've seen Tennessee play. All year, I thought they would give them a little bit of fight. Kentucky, I, very, on our very first podcast, if you go back and listen, I, I said one of the teams that really disappointed me was Kentucky at that time. So, so about <laughs> yep. two months ago or whatever that was. And, and I, but I did say, just wait until uh, Couch Cal gets this team playing well. They are doing it a little bit earlier than I thought. This team is rolling. P.J. Washington is a stud. I love Tyler Hero's game. They this is a really good inside-out team with a lot of bigs, a lot of length, and just good big depth around this Kentucky team. And Coach T.J. Washington
0: them. is amazing.
1: Yeah, he's he's a pro. It, it's really they're just super talented and they're playing with a ton of confidence. And that blowout win against Tennessee has got them on cloud nine right now for sure.
0: So including Gonzaga, there's a clear top five. You had mentioned that there were a few other teams to look for. Who are those teams that you're kind of keeping an eye on that could sneak in there?
1: I still like Michigan. I know that they haven't been scoring as much as they were at the beginning of the year. But that team is just so deep and so skilled. Uh, I really do think they go as Brzezikis goes, so he either has a monster game or he kind of has like a four or six-point game dud. So really, as he goes, and Jordan Poole, Xavier Simpson is so fun, small little guard who does these little hook shots in every single game that are amazing to watch. Uh, I think I mean, they could be sneaky. If they get hot, they, they are one of the best teams in the nation. Uh, and then, uh, so I think, yeah, and then Gonzaga was going to be my other one. So I think Duke, Tennessee... Virginia, Kentucky, Michigan, and Gonzaga. Those are like my six teams that I think are above everyone else. So if, if we get someone who, who wins outside of that six, I think I'd be a little bit shocked, but it's good. I mean, that's six teams. Normally you don't get to say there's six teams that you can see winning a national championship.
0: There is a seventh that I can see, and it's we're we're doing this on a Tuesday night. So, this is largely contingent on what happens on Wednesday night. I think Carolina could beat Duke. I'm really, really excited to see this game because North Carolina is playing really well. And I think with the right bracket and the right draw, they can sneak into the Final Four. But we're going to learn a lot about them one way or another against Duke. If they can play them tough, if they can hang around – I, I, I still think that this Tar Heel team can make some
1: noise in March. I, I agree with that. I mean, I've been tweeting about them a lot over the past couple of weeks, but then they haven't been covering, but that doesn't mean they're a bad team. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a really interesting team. They have a really, a, a lot of really good players, but they are a Jekyll and Hyde team from three. Yes. So, so yep. Yeah, so definitely what you mean, but they get hot. They're very unbeatable. I mean, This is a team that's consistently going out there and scoring almost 90 points every single game right now. So the offense is going, is really going right now. Yeah.
0: And the thing that intrigues me about them is they have five losses. Three of them are the teams that we're talking about being in the final four, Virginia, Kentucky, and then Michigan is on your outside looking in Louisville, who is a top 15 team and Texas. And apparently North Carolina has never beaten Texas. I think they've lost like their last seven to the Longhorns. So it's, (laughs) They're playing really well. I just, I don't, I think they're going to be Duke and Cameron, but I want to just see how they play. I want to see how they handle the pressure, how they handle Zion and Barrett, and how they handle this team. And that will tell me a lot about how this team can progress from now through the rest of the season. They end the season with Duke at home. So I think they have a better chance of winning that, certainly, than on Wednesday night. But I'm intrigued by North Carolina. One thing that, you know, intrigues me as always is going into March Madness, people always want to see those mid-majors and the Cinderella stories. I think we're well past Gonzaga being a mid-major despite their conference. But the two teams in the top 10 right now, of course, Nevada and Houston are sort of those non-traditional powers. How far? Do do you see those teams going, making a run of any sort?
1: I've watched each team maybe one or twice this year. They are very good teams. Uh, It's really going to be matchup based for them on their runs. I, I really think that uh yeah. I, Nevada's got some really good scores. Houston is deep and plays pretty good defense. So it, it's really just gonna be matchup based. I though I mean they'll probably be, you know, each what, three seats maybe in the tournament right now. Maybe maybe one of them sticks into not, a two. Maybe, maybe, maybe.
0: A two if enough teams lose and they yeah. win out from now yeah. on the conference
1: So, so there would definitely I, I it would be dumb not to advance them into the Sweet 16, but I mean, I don't see them losing their first round games. They're very good to to lose to, because uh, they're not. I I don't. They're going to be ranked too high. They're going to be too obviously to, to face maybe like like a 10 seed Temple. I I could see Temple being a a trendy uh like double digit uh, Sweet 16 team. So unless like they got to face like a team like temple in that second round for me to really maybe see them getting a loss there. They're just, they, they have scoring and it's not like they're just out of nowhere. Like these are good teams.
0: Yeah. They're both really, I mean, they're outstanding teams, both of them. I've watched Houston play a lot since I have the connection to the American athletic and I've watched Nevada enough. I don't really want to talk about them, but I've watched them enough. I think the ceiling is the Elite Eight. I agree. It's matchup-based, of course. I think they can both make runs to the Elite Eight. But, you know, if they're going to be paired against one of the six teams that we're talking about and that you're mentioning, I I don't see them beating them. I think, you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, Virginia, Gonzaga, Duke, I think those teams are all at a clear level above – Nevada and Houston. If somehow they can avoid them, they can make a run to the Final Four, but I don't see how
1: they can avoid all of those teams. Yeah. Like, right now, I'm looking at Lunardi's bracket. He has Nevada as a four seed against what? Vermont. I, I think seed is a little disrespectful right now, but I yeah. just think Nevada, <laughs> Nevada steamrolls Vermont, and then I think they get an unlucky matchup against five-seed Louisville in the second round game. So, I think that'd be a good game. It'd be a really good game. So that would be that'd be tough for them to advance. And then I'm looking at the other side of the bracket where Houston's a three seed right now facing UC Irvine. They're going to steamroll them. And then this is where I could see Houston going on a run because then they would face Iowa in the next round, and I think they would crush Iowa. And then they would play the winner. And then if they got to the Sweet 16, that they're in UNC's bracket. So that yeah, would be like you said, they I can mean, make a little just run there. High.
0: I mean, they, yeah, you know. If Carolina goes cold, they could sell that one. Then who knows? Gonzaga, I'm looking at it now, Gonzaga's the one there. I mean, I think they're a level above Houston, but Houston shoots lights out. Who knows? right? So that's the thing. It comes down certainly to to the bracket and to the draw. It's, It's fun to come up with the hypotheticals of who the best teams are now without looking at the bracket, but I cannot wait. We're a month away from March Madness. I know it's one of your favorite events.
1: Uh, I cannot wait favorite. to sit
0: here and just dissect the hell out of that bracket.
1: I, on Sunday, I love Sunday Selection. I know that they've really changed up the show for it. It's been weird Ugh. last few years, but it was horrible uh, last year. Yeah. So hopefully they, who they wants change to, it up. Who wants this to year? see the
0: 68 teams before you see the bracket, the whole fun of it is right. to be, you know, that, that bubble team, that 68th team, oh, it was terrible.
1: Uh, but I love filling up brackets, <laughs> just going gut check and then just changing them up. That's I love Selection Sunday. Even when I use on it and I still get up for it.
0: Of course. It's always great. And Mike Drop Sports will have tons of coverage of March Madness. Zach and I will have at least a couple of podcasts talking about our favorite games or upsets. And you know you'll be able to check out hit Zach's weekly Stein, or daily Stein's lines column. He'll have all your gambling tips throughout the tournament. But today, moving on from college basketball, today was a huge day. MLB free agency started today, even though the Red Sox last won the World Series in November. Finally, one of the top free agents in baseball have signed their contract today. Manny Machado getting a 10-year, $300 million deal from the Padres, despite the fact that everyone was saying that the money's dried up and there's collusion and this and that. He got his money. He got his team. Does he deserve that kind of a contract?
1: He's uh, regardless of all the negative attention he got while he was on the Dodgers last year, this guy is an insane talent. He's still young. So to be able to get, I, I don't know if I, I don't love the 10 year contracts giving out to all these star players, even though they do have opt outs involved in it, but it's just still a huge risk. But, uh, I mean, the guy is a phenomenal player. And for a team like the Padres, who have Eric Hosmer, a supreme leader in the baseball world, in the, in the locker room, already on that team, I think this just adds to their lineup. They have Will Myers there. They have no pitching, but they have one of the best farm systems in baseball. So I think the Padres are not going to contend right away with this signing. But again, it's, they've locked up Hosmer and now Machado for – very long-term contracts, and then they got Fernando Tatis Jr. just waiting up. They've got some really good pitchers in that farm system. This is going to be a Padres team in like three years that are just going to come the games all of a sudden.
0: It's an interesting move. I mean, looking at Machado's numbers, he's never hit more than, I mean, 37 home runs in a season. is his max and only one 100 RBI season. Only one- it was this year. Yeah, right, and then this year with The Orioles, at least, was the only time he really crossed 300. He's a 282 hitter in his career. Good for him for getting the money, certainly. I'm skeptical on 10-year contracts. The two most recent cases, Albert Pujols. We see what kind of decline he's in right now. Robinson Cano, who still has five years left on his deal at 35. I know that Machado is young and can still get better. But the prop, the question that I have about him getting better is how much better can he get without the protection in the lineup? I know they have Hosmer. I know they have Will Myers. It's not a loaded lineup. It's a good move for the Padres because, I mean, I saw people today saying, like, oh, why would such a good player go to such a bad team? I clearly, he gets more about the money than the winning. I mean, he can help them win, certainly. I think they're on the right path now. I think the interesting thing with the Padres is, you know, they have the third-longest Postseason drought in baseball. It's they haven't been the playoffs in 12 years since 2006. 20 years since they were in the World Series. They've never won one. They're one of seven teams to never win a World Series. So I don't know if Machado gets them to that point, but they do have the farm system if they want to develop these guys. If they want to start trading guys, uh, you know, for other All-Star caliber players. Manny Machado. This is a great. I think it's a great move for the Padres, despite some of the negatives. I, it, it puts them on the map it makes them relevant for what feels like the first time in forever. I mean, Eric Hosmer is a good player, but I didn't feel like Eric Hosmer put the Padres on the map. I didn't turn on the Padres every, every night to see Eric Hosmer. I want to be intrigued by Manny Machado just because of how talented he is.
1: Absolutely. It's a no-brainer for both sides. Because uh, you go and look at all the teams that were in play for Manny down the stretch here. It was the Phillies the Yankees, the White Sox, and then the Padres. And, and the White it was Sox really, supposedly
0: supposed offered more money.
1: <laughs> uh, it was – the White Sox would never go up over the 300 guaranteed. There was a, a lot of incentives that would have gotten it to be a little bit more valuable, uh, which we learned today. But it, it really was – everyone was saying it was going to come down to the White Sox or the Padres. And that sort of tells me a little bit something about Manny. See, they're both teams might be set up for success in the foreseeable feature, maybe not the immediate feature future, but the foreseeable feature with just prospects, but not going to a team that can immediately contend like the Yankees and Philly sort of tells me maybe he doesn't care about winning all that much. I don't think he loved the spotlight that he was given when he was on the Dodgers, which is all the negative attention. So going to a team, going to a city like San Diego where it just lost the Chargers recently And now it's like the full focus. So this is a huge win for the Padres. They have to build up the Padres in this town and get people excited about their one team down there. And it's a no-brainer. You got a good leader in Hosmer. You got a young player like Will Myers there. A sick, a very sick baseball farm. Number one rated baseball farm. And they're going to be contending really soon. In a few years, once all these guys come up. So maybe, you know, Machado matures a little bit throughout this contract and becomes a better leader with Hosmer. It'll be interesting to watch there uh, as a Dodgers fan. I, I, I wish he went to the white Sox. I, I don't want to face him 18 times, but good for the Padres.
0: So my two questions for you. One is the 12 year playoff drought. You don't have to tell me how far that drought gets, but does that drought end with this Machado contract at some yeah. point?
1: I, I would be shocked if they miss the playoffs in three to five years. I think they, they have a chance at making the playoffs in three. They'll still be really young, but they could have, like, they could have a Braves-type year this year where they sort of just came out of nowhere. Everyone knew that they were good, but they sort of exceeded expectations year one. So year three, three years down the line, I think that could be what the Padres are. And then five years, if these guys really pan out, I, I'd be shocked if they miss the playoffs because then in five years, you're really talking about – I don't even know if, the, if Kershaw will be on the Dodgers in five years. Justin Turner is not going to be in the picture in five years. So you have no idea what the Dodgers roster is going to be looking like. Who is still the, the number one team in, in that division. The Rockies, Nolan Aaron, Arenado is hitting free agency. So I don't know if Arenado is going to be on the Rockies in a couple of years. So that's, the opportunity for the Padres to win the division in the addition is there for the taking sooner than later.
0: Yeah, the fascin- here's a fascinating stat with the Dodgers. The Padres have now invested $528 million in Will Myers through 2022, Eric Hosmer through 2025, and Machado through 2028. The Dodgers' guaranteed money beyond 2022 is just $8 million. So there's certainly a window in the future for the Padres. My other question to you, though, is Machado actually a Padre 10 years from now
1: that'll be interesting what the opt-out <laughs> is in five is in five years right
0: i believe the opt-out is in five but i mean just between the opt-out and you know some kind of trade
1: and trades yeah i mean we've seen I, we've I seen monster see. trades go down stanton got traded to the yankees obviously the yankees can afford that kind of contract in a trade and cano
0: got and cano yeah just got traded to the mets i just i don't see machado spending 10 years in san diego i just a 10 year commitment to a player to me is insane in any really? sport. I mean, basketball, the max contracts now are five years. And football, I think you only really see five years, but none of them are guaranteed. I just, a 10 year deal. Manny Machado might go to hate San Diego. I mean, he might. He, who, he's been the, on
1: record of saying the, the one thing he hated most about being on the Dodgers was living on the West Coast. So it's funny that he ended up choosing the West Coast. Obviously, I think $300 million can change someone's mind. But Close. San Diego is a great, great city to live in. It's, it's beautiful. It's got that year-round California weather that everyone loves to talk about. Yes, it gets a little bit chillier because it's in the Bay. But it is, it, it's super nice down there. I think he's going to enjoy it. I think he's going to be successful down there. And I think for long-term, it's going to be really based on how those prospects pan out. As you mentioned, they've got all the, the three core guys on the majors right now locked up for the foreseeable future. Fernando Tatis is an absolute stud. I don't see him busting. So you're talking about the lineup of maybe Tatis at two, Machado three, or Hosmer three, Machado four, and Will Myers five. So that two through five is going to be one of the best in baseball, possibly. And, and then they've got these insane pitching studs. And so if these guys pan out, that's going to be a really, really good team for a five-year stretch during this middle of the Machado so if he develops that taste for winning, I he could stay out for ten years if this becomes a dominant Padres team.
0: Yeah, I mean it's exciting. It's you know it's fun to me. It's fun to see like what I consider a new team to be relevant. I mean, I don't think I've watched a Padres game in, in over a decade. So to actually care about the Padres, actually be interested, this is a, it's a great thing for base for Major League Baseball in general. Because you get another team in a smaller market on the map now. And there's some relevancy there.
1: It's great for baseball. One of Have the, the stars fu- spread out. It's great.
0: Absolutely. And to me, one of the funny fallouts from this move is the Yankee fans. And all offseason, you've heard Yankee fans saying, this is, our, this is it. This is that moment. We're going to get Machado and or Bryce Harper. We're going to go in the World Series. We're going to go be the old Bronx Bombers that spend all this money. And... Now that Machado's off the board, there were never really a realistic possibility for Bryce Harper. So it does look like, you know, to some Yankee fans, they're basically going to strike out, even though they made a lot of good moves. To me, Machado never made sense on the Yankees, and I don't know why there's so much uproar in New York. They have Didi Gregorius, who I know is going to miss most of the season. They have Gleyber Torres, Miguel Andujar. They signed Troy Tolitsky. They also signed DJ Lamehu. You know, they have so many guys on big contracts and at some point they're going to have to pay Judge and Sanchez and some of their pitchers. But to me, the pitching is what the issue is. I don't know why Yankee fans thought that Machado was the priority. Machado would not have helped them beat the Red Sox last year. They lost in four. And in those four games, they scored four, six, one, and three runs. Four and six should be enough to win a playoff game. So the fact that they scored... And they did win the game that they scored six. They won game two. But if you have a good pitching staff, four runs should be enough to win. The game that they scored one in game three, they gave up 16 runs. So that, to me, is not a Manny Machado issue. That's a pitching issue. And essentially, they're running it back. Luis Severino, Masahiro Tanaka, C.C. Samantha, Jay
1: I love the extension they just got at Severino. I think that contract's going to look amazing in a couple oh, of years. Oh, that's
0: amazing. That's unbelievable that they win. Forty-two million, I believe it was, for four years.
1: I mean, he's if the way he's progressing, he's going to be a hundred million-dollar pitcher when he when if he hit free agency. So to get him that that team-friendly deal is going to pay off in huge ways in the future for the Yankees. Yeah, I
0: mean, I don't know anything about Severino personally. Maybe he just needed the money. Maybe he didn't want to bet on himself. It seemed like a weird decision to me for him to take that deal. But God, good for the Yankees for getting getting him. Under contract at that price, but really the only move that they made was getting uh, Pax was getting James Paxton at pitching. So, I
1: love James Paxton though when he when he's been healthy, he's had some injuries injury problems the past couple of years. But when that guy is healthy, he's a very good pitcher, big time but strikeout guy. Is he guy. the difference
0: maker? Is he the guy that's going to elevate them from losing in four in the first round to the Red Sox to winning the World Series?
1: I, I mean, I, it's a little bit deeper now. So you got Severino out there as the ace, Paxton as the two. Tanaka needs to stay healthy, but when he's healthy, he pitches well. Sabathia is a big wild card just at his age. And then Jay Happ is, is a solid fifth guy. So if the rotation stays healthy, it could be enough. I mean, you can't question that lineup. That lineup is still stacked. So like you said, if they can score four-plus runs in every playoff game, they'll they'll have a chance to win. Uh, now looking at their bullpen, it's pretty – I mean, he's got Chapman, Betances, Adovino, Britton. Conley, like yeah, the that's bowl, a good bullpen. I mean, the bullpen is solid. I just,
0: I question the rotation. I mean, do you think the Yankees should have pursued Machado harder?
1: Uh no, because I, I, agree with you that maybe he doesn't fit in. Obviously, the Gregorius injury makes it a little bit interesting, but they have Do Hard. They have the Mayhew. I don't think Troy Tulowitzki is that good, but if he has a miracle year with that short porch, like maybe he does, put up a few homers for them. But it's just they don't need the offense. That that's one thing that they don't have an issue with. With I think Sanchez is going to bounce back really nicely. Stanton's just a monster. Judge is a monster. It's just they're they're solid. Like they're just that's it.
0: Three hundred million dollars is insane for any athlete to me. And to think that in a couple of years, Mike Trout, who's widely considered the consensus best player in baseball. He'll be a free agent after 2020. I mean, if if Mahoney Machado's worth 300 million, then Mike Trout's worth 500 million to me.
1: Right. I'm yeah, split- I mean, Mike Trout is, well, this is the funny part now. I, I still think Phillies are going to sign Harper. I think they, they'll up the offer. Maybe, maybe the Nationals come in and offer it. I think that's maybe what Harper's looking for to see if the the Nationals come up to that 310 level maybe that puts them over the top. Uh, but if somehow the Phillies miss out on Trout, Trout's a Philly guy. And if they were going to offer this much money to Harper, what would they offer Trout to get the homeboy hero to come back?
0: Yeah, and imagine an outfield with both Harper and Trout over the next few years. I mean, for to get Harper now, it's going to cost at least 305 mil. We now know what the price is for Bryce after seeing – the Machado contract. He's going to obviously demand more because he's going to want that higher average per year. And then he's going to want the 10 years that Machado got. So again, is Bryce Harper going to be worth that contract to you? And do you, is it Philly that you think he goes to?
1: Uh, Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be Philly. I, it would, if the nationals were going to get him, they would have already offered him, the contract that he would have wanted to sign there. So I think the Phillies are going to get a little desperate on the fear of striking out on both of Machado and Harper. So I think, I think you might see the Phillies get up, go up to like three ten.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think at this point, it's it's almost damage control with the fan base. I think everybody just assumed that they were going to get one of Bryce and Machado. Now that they lost Machado, I think there's a little bit more pressure that they kind of have to come through. I think, the Phillies are a good team. I think Machado makes them a great team. I think he, you know, they'll be in the playoffs, I think, with Bryce. They may or may not be a playoff team as of right now, but I just I think they need him and I think he'll help lure Mike Trout
1: also in a couple of years. Right. Yeah. It'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, Mike Trout's gonna get stupid money. I,
0: right, if Machado gets three hundred, I just think Mike Trout gets super money, and no one Arenado is also a free agent next year. I don't know if I mean I I don't think, know if he gets three hundred million, but I mean he's pretty damn good.
1: I'm hoping with the Dodgers not getting Machado and Harper, I really hope that they were holding out to to replace Turner with Arenado. That's my hope now. The with just for the future because we just don't have the money on the book. So I'm hoping that it is Arenado that we go get.
0: So speaking of, you know, big names, switching teams, in the NFL, one of the biggest names, very, very badly, wants to switch teams. Antonio Brown has – I don't even know how to explain this. I guess he's just – he's gone off the deep end, right? I mean, he's just – he's lost his mind, this guy.
1: It it was a weird (laughs) year for him. It was – going on in the season, after the season. It's still going. It, it, he's weird. He's still it, one of the best receivers
0: ri- in the game. And it looks ridiculous. I could not the stand blonde looking mustache, at him during, oh my during God. NBA All-Star Weekend. I could not stand looking at him. The blonde mustache, whatever he did to the curls in his hair, he, he looks like he killed five different animals to wear on himself. The guy has just gone off the deep end. But here's the thing about Antonio Brown. He's unbelievable. And if I'm running a team, I'm still offering a premium package to get him. I'm not scared of these tweets. I'm not scared of this look. This is a guy who is amazing and could be a game changer for a lot of teams. Here's the list of wide receivers to catch 100 passes in six straight years. Antonio Brown, and that's
1: it. He's a freak, and – this was at a point where, before Juju Smith really came up, there was really no secondary option. Up. I mean, man made Sanders a little bit in there, but teams had the option to go and just double him and try to slow him down. There was no slowing him down. Granted, he had one of the best chuckers in the NFL throwing him, too. Like, Big Ben is great for that, but the guy was making ridiculous catches. It's not like a system or anything like that. The guy is super talented. I agree. I I don't think the Vikings are a good fit for Antonio Brown. If somehow we got him, I would be ecstatic, but I don't think we should be giving up the farm when we have so many different issues. I know you are really excited to say, like, the perfect team for him. I came up with a perfect team that should trade for him and give up a premium package. I wonder if it's the same team, actually.
0: Maybe. So I'm going to go. Um, to me, it's a good fit. There's a complimentary wide receiver across from him, so he's got that offensive piece that he likes to have. He's got the quarterback with the strong arm, the offensive-minded coach, and it's the perfect compensatory piece to go to the Steelers. The team that nobody is talking about. I love the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to get Antonio Brown. I think he'd be a good fit to help Jameis get to the next level. Bruce Arians was the Steelers' offensive coordinator from 2010 to 2011 during Brown's first two seasons in the league. Him across Mike Evans would easily be the best one-two wide receiver combination in the league, and for the Bucs to get him, they could flip Gerald McCoy, who's due $13 million and has been rumored by some people to be a possible cap casualty. Forget the draft picks for a second. The Steelers could definitely use a guy like McCoy to clog the middle of their defense. Obviously, losing Brown is going to hurt them, but with Juju Smith in place, they should go and try and get a – Veteran defensive piece if they can for Brown plus a, a pick or two whatever, but to me flipping Gerald McCoy and then having Arians being able to work with Brown and Evans and to help elevate Jameis Winston to the next level it's an idea it's a match made in heaven to me.
1: That is a good fit. Mike Evans and Antonio Brown would cause nightmares for defenses. If that happens, I am going nuts in my fantasy draft. To. To draft <laughs> Jameis Winston, I will overspend like crazy in my auction. Uh, because the thing is... with
0: Winston is he has
1: he has a yeah, go good ahead.
0: arm. He throws the touchdowns. He just he's turnover prone and makes mistakes. And I think Arians can help limit those mistakes. And I think having you know Brown is a, a massive upgrade over Deshaun Jackson. I I just think I, I think he'll find a way to limit those mistakes. And sorry, I... who, so who is your team?
1: So a team that I like. And they don't have really that complimentary wide receiver there, but a team that has been good. Their quarterback was very injured all year and tried to battle through it. And they have a good first round pick to offer up. I want to see him get paired up with Cam Newton in Carolina. Ooh. I want to see that. They got the 16th pick. So you got to, you can package around that 16th pick probably a first and third round player. I I haven't looked at contracts on the team. Maybe you send in a a player with a a weird contract or something over there. But I think maybe a first and third from the Panthers entices the Steelers a little bit. And that gives, because with just Greg Olson always battling injuries and just on the decline now, Cam Newton needs that serious wide receiver threat with just how good um, McCaffrey is. I think Antonio Brown would get the, that team back in the, the Super Bowl conversation where they were a few years ago.
0: Yeah. That's not a team that I considered. That's a really interesting fit. And I'm glad you said that you would trade that number 16 pick. So you're in agreement with me that, you know, ignore the tweets, ignore the walk, ignore all the diva nonsense that's happening off the field. If you needed a wide receiver, you would still trade a premium package to go get Antonio Brown. Correct.
1: Absolutely. Uh, right now, I'm just looking at the draft where teams that could go get a run who I think are really close to maybe being very successful. That's why I sort of agree with the Bucks. I think they're just a couple pieces away from from being a a 10-game winner in seasons regularly. You're not going to find a player in this draft that's as good as Antonio Brown. You're not.
0: So it's worth... No, and not and not right away, too. And
1: not course. right away either. They might develop into great things, but if you are... Trying to be in win now mode, like the Bucks, like the Panthers. Why wouldn't you give up a first round pick and then a little bit more to secure a guy of his talent? You, the change of scenery is clearly what Antonio Brown wants and needs, and to go to a win now team that's right there just to get him in line a little bit. And with you know Cam Newton, pretty proven quarterback, Jameis Winston, an up and coming quarterback who I still have faith in becoming really good. I. It, those are the two teams that make the most sense to me.
0: Yeah, and the interesting thing about both of those teams is that you know Mike Tomlin has been Antonio's, Antonio Brown's only coach, and he's a defensive-minded guy that had Todd Haley. Uh, they've had some weird turnover at the offensive coordinator position in Pittsburgh. So for him to work with Bruce Arians, for him to work with Norb Turner, the OC in Carolina, I mean, this guy's already good, but imagine working with, two of the smartest offensive minds in football, what kind of wonders those two coaches could do with him?
1: It it would be fun. I'm excited. It it would be so ridiculous if he ends up staying with the Steelers. But I think Antonio Brock came even out today and said that he and Mooney both agreed that change of scenery is needed. So if both him and the owner are on the same page, then – the move has to be happening. So is which, it. A- to
0: add to the weirdness. He, he said that in an Instagram post in which he took a picture with Rooney. So I don't, I don't, it's weird that he's just sitting there and smiling, taking pictures with the owner and saying goodbye.
1: <laughs> uh, I think he probably has respect for the organization. I think he just hated what happened in the past year. It just, drove him insane so he's ready for something new and given the guy every a lot of players get to go and change cities and whatnot and and a lot of just regular people get to to have an opportunity to change companies whenever they please sometimes change is needed to grow and it it could be interesting I, i i'm just curious to see what the timeline is like on getting a deal done to get him out of there
0: well, I think the timeline is early March. If I read correctly, he has a $2.5 million bonus due to him. I believe it's March 5th, maybe March 2nd. It's early March. So one would think that the timeline is before the Steelers have to pay that $2.5 million. I mean, I think the teams that we named are kind of a little outside the box, I think. Maybe it's – I know that the 49ers have been heavily mentioned. Obviously, they wouldn't trade their first-round pick. They picked number two. Yeah, so I think that willing would be you're To settle for a second-rounder, then that's a great fit. Same thing with the Jets, but the Jets – I don't think the Jets have a second-rounder, actually. I believe they moved it last year to move up to get Sam Darnold. So those are two of the teams that are highly mentioned, but they're not going to trade their first-round pick, so it's interesting yeah. if they can kind of get in the conversation.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, the 49ers do make sense as, as team-wise. I, I don't know what kind of package they would offer – for that, uh, obviously, Garoppolo could use a outside wide receiver presence to make sure that they keep the middle open for uh, Kittle, and and then maybe that also helps Marquise Goodwin on the outside as well. Uh, so they're they're interesting. Uh, I, I, there's going to be a surprise team in there for sure because obviously we have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, the Patriots have been saying that they'll do whatever it takes to get ODB, but uh, they. Would they go after Brown? Do you? you do not know?
0: I mean, I, I think in a perfect world they do, but I, I don't see any any scenario in the world and they could offer five first round picks. I just don't see the Steelers trading Brown to the Patriots. No, I. He'll come back either. and haunt them forever. But obviously, I mean, the Patriots, and if this guy was a free agent, the Patriots are the perfect fit. I've seen people mention the Packers. I think I'm, that's an awful fit. I
1: think. I agree. I agree. They were in the Packers. And it would be so Packers for them to get him.
0: They have a 35-year-old first-time head coach who has to deal with Aaron Rodgers, who I still think is a little bit of a diva. So you're going to put Rodgers and Brown, and you're going to saddle this 35-year-old first-time head coach with two diva star football. They're both incredible and two of the best in their positions. It's a lot to ask. For a coach like that, I mean, the teams that we're suggesting have older veteran guys who we know can control at A.B. I don't know if Matt LaFleur is the guy that can control Antonio Brown right now at this stage of his career.
1: No, and the Packers are a mess of a team right now.
0: They're a mess. Yeah, I just, there's, there's too many other needs. I mean, the Panthers have a pretty good roster. They need to fill some holes. On the O line and on defense, and the Bucks have a bunch of holes to fill on defense. Obviously losing Gerald McCoy in my proposal would hurt, but it sounds like they might want to cut him anyway. So why not just flip him, flip him for Brown?
1: Yeah, I, I I'm in agreement with you. I, I just I just want it to be over. Just with like baseball <laughs> offseason, I hate just rumors swirling around. We could talk about it for days, and you could speculate all you want until it happens, and you just want to going into this season knowing already, and it's just, let's let's go. Just train them. What are you waiting for? Let's go. <laughs>
0: of course. Another fun story to follow in the offseason, three Super Bowl MVP quarterbacks that might switch teams. One of them already has. So, Joe Flacco to the Broncos. I want to get your thoughts on that in a second. But then Nick Foles and Eli Manning on the other two, all three – I don't think we've ever seen an off season. I mean, it's rare that one Super Bowl MVP quarterbacks, which you see, but how about three in an off season? I know that it's kind of circumstances with all three of them, but it's still pretty fascinating story to follow.
1: I don't know what the Broncos were doing. <laughs> I, I I don't. I I thought them signing Keenum in the first place was ridiculous, and I know quarterbacks are getting the money, so it's like you can't blame them for. For doing it, but uh, the guy's making twenty million next year, maybe right?
0: No, uh, north of that. North
1: of it, north, north, yeah. And then, uh, how much is Joe Flacco making next year? A lot. Yeah. Too much. So probably, I actually, probably, I 40, the probably team forty million thing, combined. Forty I million combined the team for two quarterbacks.
0: Made sense last year,
1: I I mean, mean, it yeah. made sense. It sure made sense. It, it, it is what it is. But now you're paying approximately forty million dollars for. A combined ten million dollar a year quarterback. There's For a combined bad quarterback. They, it's just a bad <laughs> quarterback. I'm saying like a quarterback who who'd be worth paying ten million dollars a year. So what are they doing? They have so many different problems. So many different problems.
0: Broncos well, went six I, and ten last year. Did they do the top six wins with Flacco?
1: I've I've always I liked Flacco. It. I've always liked Flacco. The the Ravens tried to do their best by adding Crabtree, adding John Brown to that team, and Joe Flacco still couldn't succeed with that wide receiver duo. I think he might be getting a little bit better situation with with playmakers here, uh, but you might win seven games. You're not going to be a 10-game winner. You're not going to be a playoff team with Flacco. Is John Elway just sabotaging the Broncos to remain the greatest quarterback in franchise history? To be determined. To be determined.
0: I think that's it. I mean, look, he got Peyton Manning, and that was awesome. He was able to recruit him, I believe. I, mean, I know the Cardinals off the top of my head were after Peyton. I know there's another team in hot pursuit of – the Dolphins were in hot pursuit of him. So kudos to L.A. for recruiting Peyton as a free agent. That was a and got him, move by him. And
1: it got a Super Bowl out of it, which is amazing.
0: Absolutely. And that was awesome that L.A. was able to do that. But since then, the quarterbacks have been Brock Osweiler, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch and Case Keenum.
1: Like the absolute garbage of the NFL quarterbacks. Keenum before that miracle year with the Vikings was god awful when given a chance. I, I, I'm still in disbelief of how well he played for the Vikings. Uh, and I'm a dire Vikings fan and I'm shitting on him <laughs> right now. So it's just like the, the, the Broncos have gone through the worst QB carousel in the NFL outside of the Browns. But now the Browns are fine with Baker.
0: Yeah, no, it really – it has been bad. The funny thing is is it made sense to me when it happened. I didn't see the Broncos drafting a quarterback because, for one, they hired Vic Fangio, who's a 60-year-old head coach. I don't think Vic Fangio – I don't think they hired him, you know, to be patient. I don't think Elway has time to be patient. I think the, the, the heat is on despite everything he's done for Denver – I think the heat is on for Elway and I, I always thought that they would go with a veteran. I didn't think it would be Flacco and I don't think I think of trading a fourth round pick for him is absurd. Maybe they can recoup that and trade Keenum for a fifth, but I, it's a crazy move. I mean, Flacco is bad. I mean the numbers over the last few years show that he's bad.
1: That- it didn't make sense. I understand why Baltimore traded him; like that made absolute sense uh, for them to go trade him, especially with just their commitment to Lamar Jackson last year. I I'm shocked Denver was the one who bit. I thought Flacco could have gone to a couple other teams that needed a a gap year or two with a veteran quarterback like Flacco. I definitely did not see the Broncos being that because the Broncos signed Keenum to be their gap QB quarterback already. Now you're investing all this money. What are they able to do now? Nothing.
0: The funny thing about sort of the response to this trade is everybody laughing at the Broncos, criticizing LA, criticizing Flacco. When most of those same people, and I believe you might've been one of them were calling for Flacco to get into that playoff game for the Ravens against the
1: Chargers. I was, and the only reason why I was yelling for it, obviously it blew back up in my face because I did make a comeback. But the problem was, is, and it's been proven even in the regular season, when they it was very hard for the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson at the time when they were playing really poorly in that game to make a comeback with him throwing the ball. He's very inaccurate. It's, I mean, so was Fico, but like you needed to move ball upfield. He wasn't making plays with his legs either. So, for me, just as watching the game just on the couch, I was furious with, you have a QB who can move an offense up the floor with his arm, and when you're down by multiple TDs that seem like an eternity with a running QB and a run-pass offense like type play with, with Lamar Jackson in there, it, it just was infuriating me that you weren't even giving a guy a shot who's won a Super Bowl And a playoff game. So, yes, I was screaming for it. Yes, Lamar Jackson, turn it around and make some great throws in that game. Yes, I ate it. But still, I I don't understand this move for the Broncos.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely a bizarre move. And then two other Super Bowl winning QBs that will be on the move, Nick Foles being one of them. There's no way he returns to Philly at this point. I – Really, the only team that seems to make sense for him is the Jaguars. I don't really see another fit for him.
1: Jaguars would be a great fit for him. Uh, That defense wasn't as good as everyone was hoping it to be this year. Uh, They should be better next year. Uh, They got some interesting wide receivers. They got Leonard Fournette, who needs to stay healthy. Nick Foles is a proven winner. It makes sense to go down to a team that that we've seen – It could be built to to make a playoff run.
0: The only – so, I mean, the Jaguars have been a widely rumored team because, right, they have that veteran defense. They have some of the pieces. They have an older coach who's probably on the hot seat. And they also hired John DeFilippo as their new offensive coordinator. He was the Eagles QB coach when the Eagles and Foles won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. But here's an interesting – Thought with Foles and kind of a, an out of nowhere wildcard sweeper team. What about the Bengals? If they decide to move on from Dalton with their new offensive-minded
1: head coach? The Bengals are weird. And Andy Dalton is <laughs> weird. I don't know if I'm sold on Andy Dalton, but I'm not sold that Nick Foles is better than Andy Dalton on that team. I think they just have been I, I think the coach was holding that team back obviously but there, there's the, right. so it'll be really interesting to see how Andy Dalton is used going forward how that offense changes with just a new leader at the helm uh, obviously very improving guy there but uh it'll it'll just be interesting well uh, i i wouldn't move on from Andy Dalton with a new coach right now. i i think Andy Dalton has shown really good flashes of what he can be. Also, his stone flashes of being really bad, but I, I wouldn't make that change.
0: And then the last one is Eli Manning. Of course, he won two Super Bowls. Is he going to be back in New York, or do
1: you think they move on from him? I think he's got to be back in New York. Who, what are they going to do this year? They clearly know how to tank with him. And obviously the Giants don't want to be Tang, but you're not gonna bring in someone who's gonna make them a winner right now. So you might as well ride out with Eli. Maybe maybe get him an offensive line that protects him and he can still throw the ball. Like, I don't know.
0: I would bring in Dwayne Haskins and I would move on from Eli. I think would they end up I think they might draft a quarterback in round two or round three, maybe a guy like Daniel Jones and have him learn behind Eli. But I would just I would cut ties now. I would move up. I would take Dwayne Haskins. I think he's an absolute star. I think he's by far the best quarterback in this draft over Kyler Murray. And I think Haskins would be the key. If you pair him with Saquon Barkley and do have him throwing deep passes to Odell Beckham, I think the giants would be back to winning in a hurry. I just, I, I have a hard time seeing Eli having any more success with the giants, but at the same time, I also have a hard time seeing them moving on from him. I think that I think that's their plan. I think they're going to keep him and draft a quarterback to groom.
1: That hasn't really panned out, though, because they've they've, they haven't taken, they, have taken anyone like or like Daniel Jones, maybe. But, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I, I, don't, I don't think they move on from him.
0: Yeah, well, this all gets started. I think we're about a couple weeks away from NFL free agents in the beginning of March. We're, we know we're a month away from Selection Sunday. We have no idea how far away we are from Bryce Harper signing or any of these other hundred really good MLB-free agents like Gio Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell. And, of course, NBA returns on Thursday following the All-Star break. So so much exciting stuff happening in sports. You can check out MikeDropSports.com for all the latest stories. Make sure you follow Zach at ZSty87 on Twitter. And make sure you check out the Stein's lines every day, so you can win some money. Although apparently you might not have won that much this past weekend, but we're coming forward. back.
1: We're coming back. We lost, we lost the Tennessee game to start. Kentucky's up seventeen right now. We need that to just keep hanging in there, and then UNLV tonight. We're we're, we're hanging in there. We're coming back. We're we're gonna get hot.
0: We're coming back, and you can win a lot of money if you just follow Zach on Twitter, and if you just check out Mike Drop Sports on a daily basis. You can follow me at M-S-S-E-H-N-E-I-D, and make sure you check out MicDropSports.com on a daily basis. Zach, anything else?
1: That's it. Excited to come back next week. Obviously, some great college basketball this week with Rivalry Week, the Duke-UNC game we touched down a little bit earlier. I'm really excited for that tomorrow night. Um, And, yeah, i mean, just excited to what's to come in the next month or so.
0: A lot of exciting stuff. Look forward to, thanks for listening and we look forward to talking about it some more.